Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. In this episode, we're asking you, listener, to take us by our little hand and go like this. Oh yeah, baby, we're talking about the twist. More broadly, we're talking about its various different recordings and the artist whose cover of the song made it into a smash hit phenomenon, Chubby Checker. So join us as we go a twist, a twist, a twisting till we burn the house down. 1959, downtown Tampa Bay, Florida, though really it could be any urban area in the United States. In the clubs, teenagers are doing a new dance. Feet planted to the floor, grinding out slight circles. The rest of their bodies are rotating violently while staying crouched low to the ground. Colloquially known as the twist, this is a totally new kind of dance. It involves little to no bodily contact, it's almost comically accessible, and it works very well with rock and roll. Off to the side of a club, musician Hank Ballard is watching intently. There's a way to capitalise on this, he thinks. We can make a song out of it. At least, that's how the story goes. Many years later, in 2014, Lawson Smith, a member of Hank Ballard's band, The Midnighters, makes the claim that Ballard didn't write the song at all. He actually stole the lyrics from musician Nathaniel Bills, who'd been hoping to get a band named The Spaniels to record it. Though he paired the lyrics to another piece of music, admittedly one ripped off from another artist, it's alleged that the lyrics weren't his, and Ballard's long-accepted story of witnessing teenagers twisting in Florida was a lie. Here, helping explain who Hank Ballard is and how his version of the twist was received is our guest, musicologist, music historian, and rock musician Dr. Alexander Carpenter of the University of Alberta, Canada. Well, uh, I mean, Hank Ballard was an early, an early figure in the history of rock and roll. I think probably a lot of people don't, don't know Hank Ballard by name. Um, and so he emerges out of this sort of early, the, the early R and B scene as it as it's making the transition to what we would call early rock. It's a really interesting time. It's not 1953. He starts recording 54 around that time. I think that's a really interesting time, just because it's uh, it it is so liminal. It's so it's so very much uh, in between, um, and it's hard. You know, genres are unstable. The most interesting periods in the history of music are these periods where genres are in flux so this question and you're looking at the 1950s about is it r&b is it is it rock and roll you know what are we gonna what are we gonna call it but i would characterize him in, in, in general as a early and a, an, an important figure i suppose in the early history of rock and roll i know him from a song from about like around 1960 called finger pop in time which is maybe the only uh, it's kind of a cute little novelty song. The context of 
this podcast, Hank Ballard is the immediate precursor to Chubby Checker. He's the original author of The Twist. Um, but he's also infamous for writing a series of songs, like his first first cluster of songs that he wrote were all banned by the FCC in the United States um, because they were so lewd. And so it's, it's important to know, maybe everybody knows already, but it's important to know that these songs come out of the, the sort of R&B and blues songs, you know, they're all infused with a, you know, they're, they're all sort of sexually infused and um, the, the lyrics are coded for the most part, but they're not terribly, they're not terribly well coded. So you don't have to listen really hard to kind of, you know, figure it out. But I mean, this, these, these terms as well, like, you know, I was thinking about the, the term rock and roll is a slang, is slang for, sexual intercourse jazz is is a slang for uh, sexual intercourse so it's not surprising that all of these threads all of these different genres are sort of coming together and then they become rock and roll i don't want to speak for everybody or anybody but it seems to me i think a lot of people probably look back at this era of the 50s and think of it as a sort of a time of kind of innocence you know because you have you have early rock you have you have early elvis and these sort of a lot of these songs seem like novelty songs and you still have this constellation of, of doo-wop groups and, and you know, singing what seemed to be these sort of sweet little songs about love and going to the sock hop and whatever. But um, when you're talking about, you're talking about rocking and rolling, uh, you're talking about having sex, first of all, in, in a slang context. But when you're talking about doing the twist, I'm very sorry to say, the twist is just a euphemism for having sex. So... This is the context in which Ballard wrote the twist. He had already written a series of songs, so-called Annie songs, um, uh, which featured this character Annie, and they were so they were so sexually explicit that they couldn't be they couldn't be on the air. They were marketed as as R and B songs, and there's a there's an there's an important race element to this. Obviously, the early history of rock is a difficult time racially because you have all of these black artists who are who are recording. R&B music for, you know, sort of essentially for black audiences and being released on R&B labels. And then these songs are covered by artists, either by white artists or in the case of Chubby Checker, which is where we're going, you have, it's just, um, I don't know how you'd say it. It's a, in terms of fidelity, it's a much better recording. Chubby Checker himself appears as a sort of a, a much more sort of sanitized character as he's appearing on uh, in the early years of television so um yeah that's Hank Ballard. I mean he's, he's like like Chubby Checker and like these other 50 stars it's amazing that they just they, and they just kept going. Hank Ballard kept recording um music and pro- recording into the 70s at least and performing into the 1980s. And he made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame whereas Chubby Checker did not. So that's Hank Ballard precur- precursor to the twist and he 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 wrote and recorded the twist in, I think, 1959, the year before Chubby Checker. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. What you just heard there is an excerpt of Hank Ballard's version of The Twist. As discussed, the song is a very moderate success. Those following it would be shocked to hear it being talked about over half a decade later. Of course, for that to happen, someone else will have to come into the story.
That person turns out to be Ernest Evans, otherwise known as Chubby Checker. Born on October 3rd, 1941, in South Carolina, Ernest Evans quickly moves to the projects in the southern suburbs of Philadelphia. He learns the basics of the piano at Settlement Music School, a community music project founded in the early 20th century, with alumni ranging from Albert Einstein to Kevin Bacon. Ernest doesn't appear to be a musical prodigy, however. He's not Mozart or even Schroeder, but he's confident enough. The revelation comes as he starts high school and is introduced to the hottest new sounds, the songs of rock music pioneers Fats Domino, Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley. To the delight of all his friends, Ernest is a phenomenal mimic. He does fantastic impressions of all those aforementioned artists and many more, which soon stretches beyond him just being the class clown. As he starts working various jobs, such as at the grocery store and the produce market, he continues to sing to himself. The store owners are so delighted that instead of telling Ernest to stop, they promote him, turning him into an attraction and a selling point for the store. Supposedly, one of the store managers is responsible for his music career, setting up a meeting with songwriter Cal Mann. A different boss gave him the nickname Chubby, and it all culminates at a recording session with Cal Mann, where after hearing Chubby's Fats Domino impression, Cal's wife suggests that his surname should be Checker. Dr. Alexander Carpenter takes the story from here. You know, as a young man, as a novelty performer, and and this relates back to thinking about the the similarities between the Hank Ballard version and the Chubby Checker version. The reason why they sound so similar is that Chubby Checker's early success as a singer was predicated on the fact that he was a, a mimic, so that he could copy the way that other performers sang and so these early novelty records that he was making to promote himself would involve him copying the copying the voices or the singing styles of other performers and sort of weaving them if that makes sense weaving them into the recordings so that you could uh, it'd be like it'd be, you know it's like a one-man play like playing multiple characters so he would record these songs where he was copying the styles of different artists and so this was um it was these novelty records that got him some attention and and maybe the most important attention that he could have got at that time which is from dick clark the the dj dick clark who was at that point a major personality in the early history of television and hosting a show called american bandstand and so um he had dick clark's attention um with these um with these novelty records and then uh, began releasing, you know, recording and releasing his own songs in 1959, around that time. And again, he's like like other people, he's recording, I say novelty songs, but often these songs that are paired with dances in some way, right? So it's a, it's a song about a dance. And ideally, it's, uh, I don't know what you, you know, sort of cross platform marketing, I guess you would say, right? Like you want, you have a song that you want played on the radio, and then you have the opportunity now in the late 50s and early 60s to be on television. And so your, your act on television has to have a visual, a visuality to it. And uh, so 
you know, it, it, it kind of, it, it helps to explain the success of a song like the twist. It just, it comes along at the right time. It comes along with the dance that people can do. And as we'll talk about, maybe, I mean, he, it, it it's not a, it's not a, it's not a fluke. It, it doesn't happen that Chubby Checker uh, re-records the twist and it just happens to take off. He had, he had the promotion behind it that Hank Ballard did not have. It was very aggressively promoted on radio stations and especially on television. And that, that accounts in large part for why it was, um, it was so successful. Hank Ballard's version of the twist isn't even a major single. It's a B-side. So it's miraculous that 18-year-old Chubby Checker decides to cover it, and ironically, he also intends releasing the song as a B-side. It's only with some shrewd studio intervention that the song gets any push behind it. Before we go any further, let's have a listen to Chubby Checker's version of the song and hear Dr. Alexander Carpenter describe how it compares to Hank Ballard's version, which we heard earlier. Well, it's striking if you listen. I mean, if you listen to it, and then you listen to the If you listen to it, you you will uh, be struck by the fact that it sounds exactly like the Chubby Checker version, or or vice versa. Uh, I guess I guess it's the other way around. Um, in terms of the you know the vocal delivery, it's essentially the same. The form is identical. So this is an R and B song in 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 a basic a, a basic blues structure. So it's uh, in a twelve bar blues form. It only has three chords. Um, and they just sort of keep cycling, and uh, the lyrics are in, in in a blues form. What's called bar form. They just go A A B, right? So, come on, baby, let's do the twist. Come on, baby, let's do the twist. Uh, whatever, take my hand, and it goes like this. So it's one lyric, then the lyric repeats, and then and then a different lyric. So this is this is what you commonly hear in in blues so this is this is the roots of this song so it's i mean it's it's totally unremarkable that way it has a saxophone solo in the middle the chubby checker version has a saxophone solo that's it's not note for note the same but it's in exactly the same place the melodies the melodies are the same between these two songs it's essentially it, they're 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 essentially identical as i say the, the difference i think is in terms of the fidelity the chubby checker version recorded one year later is is much cleaner as a as a in an audio sense and i guess the different in terms of how they charted so ballards didn't chart it charted but it didn't do particularly well and i'm not exactly sure about the stats but it charted either in the teens or somewhere in the 20s briefly while ballards twist barely charts checkers proves that the song has legs long ones the studio pushes the song hard in the fall of 1960, a year after the release of Ballard's version. As the songs are so similar, the success of Checker's version over Ballard's seems to come less from the song itself and more from everything around it. Over the course of a year, it's remarkable just how popular the twist has become as a dance and what staying power it has. It's an emerging cultural phenomenon, teetering right on the edge of becoming a sensation. Chubby Checker is perfectly primed to push it over. 
The key move the studio makes to ensure its success, however, is getting Checker onto TV. Much like TikTok would do half a century later, televised performances have the ability to make or break songs. As the dance is such a key part of the song, having the ability to show them off alongside each other is a crucial advantage that Hank Ballard didn't really get. Chubby Checker does multiple performances of the song on the popular show Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Within five years, the song sells 15 million copies. It tops the charts in America and brings the dance up with it. But much like any trend, it's going to grind to a halt eventually, and the challenge becomes how to make the most of this limited window of success. Oddly enough, Chubby Checker decides, along with the studio, to release a sequel to the song, Let's Twist Again. Here's a snippet of that. While the song doesn't exactly redefine what it means to twist, it charts moderately and actually brings Chubby Checker's original twist back onto the charts. He follows it up in 1962 with a duet featuring D.D. Sharp, Slow Twisting, which makes it to number three on the charts, and a series of other up-tempo dance songs such as Dance and Party, Popeye the Hitchhiker, and Lottie Low. After this, however, the twist, along with Chubby Checker's career, loses momentum. Like anything trendy, the twist quickly becomes too normalised to be cool. Frankenstein is only scary till you see kids dressed up as him at Halloween, and a dance is only cool until you see your mum doing it. Rock and roll moves on. The edges sharpen, and for the most part, the twist is left behind. That is, until the 1980s. In 1988, the Fat Boys released their own song, The Twist, Yo Twist, a song that not only samples Chubby Checker, but features him in the music video. It really has to be heard to be believed. By the 1980s, the twist has firmly been established as an oldies tune. It's easy listening, relaxed, and seemingly about as chaste as a song can be. Oddly enough, however, if we head back to the 60s, the song is actually initially quite controversial for its sexual content. Chubby Checker himself has his own theory about the success of the song that ties right into this, one that our guest, Dr. Alexander Carpenter, elaborates on well here. Uh, Anywhere where he's talking about the twist, he calls it dancing apart to the beat, I think is the phrase that he uses. And this, this comes up quite often. So it's Chubby Checker's claim that what's important about the twist, why everybody went so crazy about it, and why in his thinking he is such an important figure, is that he he shattered the paradigm of couple dancing and that this changed everything, um, that this was a massive shift in terms of, we already know that there's a, there's a 
a seismic shift in the 1950s, the emergence of, of a new kind of youth culture and the, the, the separation of the separation of youth, a generational gap emerges that doesn't necessarily exist before that, you know, the period sort of um, pre-war, that there isn't much of a differentiation between what parents are listening to and what their kids are, their kids are listening to. Um, but, and then this chasm opens up in the 1950s and, you know, you have all of this, um, uh, the moral panic over Elvis and that kind of thing. And, and the, the, they're not wrong at all. You know, so the people who are you know, the people we think of as having been, you know, very square and, you know, against rock and roll or whatever, who are saying that this music is just so um, disgustingly sexual, uh, they're not wrong at all. You know, so um, but but that opens this this gap. And so Chuck Berry, locate, or Chuck Berry, um, Chubby Chucker locates himself in this um in this space or at this historical moment and says, look what I did with the twist. The twist allows couples to break apart and to dance apart. It, it changes the social context entirely. You don't have to be part of a couple to participate in dancing. So you can have, you can have a dance floor all sort of mixed up and everybody, you know, you could have all people of the same sex dancing the twist. You would just have a floor full of, I guess you could imagine girls or boys or just a mixed, Floor and people wouldn't have to be gathered together in in couples to dance. But the other thing that he always says is that, and this goes back to this idea of this hypersexualized music, that the the real joy of the twist is that, uh, I guess, from the perspective of a man, you can dance at a distance from your date and you can watch her move. So he sort of implies, like, you can sort of see what she's got going on physically because she's she's twisting it and shaking it all in front of you so chubby checker is quite explicit about that um you know even like sort of right up until the present day that this is what the twist accomplished that it allows the possibility I mean, if you want to if you want to turn it into academic speech right it has to do it, it it facilitates the male gaze in a way that couple dancing does where you're having to dance you know sort of at close quarters which you might think of as a it being a kind of a sexual context, but then you have to you have to dance in these sort of prescribed um, patterns, um, and the twist lets you take a couple of steps back and have a look. If you're a if you're a man, uh, it lets you have a look at the woman you're dancing with, um, and you can openly sort of look at her body in motion. This isn't my analysis. <laughs> this is Chubby Checker's analysis of his own legacy, but I think it's not unreasonable. You know that that this is this is in one way this accounts for the success of the twist because it's not the music on its own i don't think in his personal life chubby checker is happy in 1963 he proposes to dutch model and miss world 1962 katharina lodders they remain married for over 50 years and are still alive and happy together as of 2023 professionally however Checker certainly has mixed feelings about his success. He claims in an interview that, quote, In a way, the twist really ruined my life. I was on my way to becoming a big nightclub performer, and the twist just wiped it out. It got so out of proportion. No one ever believes I have talent. End quote. Like many artists of work that is relentlessly popular, Checker has often had to fight 
to gain critical appraisal. Unlike Hank Ballard, Chubby is not a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 2002, Checker protests outside the induction ceremony, claiming that he's been snubbed. Alongside this, his popularity becomes so vast that he becomes almost ubiquitous and part of the pop culture vernacular. Chubby Checker continues to release music into the 2010s and tours throughout. In 1971, in an attempt to break out of being pigeonholed as a strictly commercial sanitised artist, Checker releases the album Checkered. It's filled with psychedelia-influenced tracks recorded by Jimi Hendrix's producer, and frustratingly for Checker, it's received poorly initially only being released in Europe. Still, here's an excerpt of one of the key songs off that album, No Need to Get So Heavy. While it's frustrating for Chubby Checker that his attempts at more critically acclaimed quote-unquote serious music are met with crossed arms, there's no shame in his legacy as an entertainer being defined by his accessibility. He succeeded in creating music that millions upon millions of people loved, that was key to a generation and can still be heard today. Dr. Alexander Carpenter talks more here about Chubby Checker's legacy to close this episode. I like this, uh, this phrase, you know, dancing apart to the, to the beat. He's been, he's been flogging this phrase for a, a long time when he has to, has to explain or account for his own legacy it made me think of um i I think he's probably overstating in some ways his role in the sexualization of dancing if if that's sort of what he wants to claim that he made it you know possible for a for a a different and and sort of special or more intense kind of sexuality to emerge in the context of of rock and roll culture it make but it makes me think a little bit of this idea of of trying to get your head around the idea of the 1950s as really the kind of lascivious uh, context that it that it you know that it really was, even though as we look back on it and you know on the surface it all looks like kind of bubblegum music and hoop skirts and going to the dance at the high school or whatever. Um, and you have all of this music of the late 50s and into the 1960s that is um, yeah powerfully imbued with a lot of this sort of sexual um sexual energy and sexual content but in a weird way it it made me think about the waltz because the waltz is a i think it it makes an interesting comparison because it's another dance you know we don't necessarily think of the waltz in the context of say the mid-19th century as a time of 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 sexual lasciviousness in the in the same way maybe that we do i mean we think of we think of the sort of the late 60s and this the sort of psychedelic era um the advent of hippie culture and free love and that's when things all you know went sideways or whatever but it's a different kind of i think it's a different kind of teen sexuality context in the 1950s um that that's you know, sort of boiling over because it's it's repressed in in some ways. It's a different kind of energy. But in the context of the the waltz um, in the in the mid nineteenth century uh, in Paris and then especially in Vienna, people are saying the same thing about waltzing as they were saying about twisting. 
Um, and it's a weird way to tie the two things together, but I think it's interesting. And that is that you have, uh, if you can imagine in the 50s, a whole bunch of kids, uh, you know, teenagers in a at a sock hop or at a dance hall, and they're all doing this awful dirty dance where they're, they're twisting their hips and they're, you know, they, they can, they're looking at each other and all of their body parts are kind of jiggling and in motion and whatever. And uh, society is, is going to hell in a handbasket. This is exactly what critics were taught saying about the waltz in the, uh, in the 19th century, that it was the devil's dance, you know, that Johann Strauss was himself this kind of demonic figure who's writing, who's, who's conducting these orchestras and is writing this kind of music just simply to ignite sexual um, tensions or sexual energy. The waltz is different. And this is precisely what Chubby Checker is talking about. Chubby Checker breaks the dancers apart and says that this gives an, ex, an extra sort of sexual um, frisson to, to the experience of dancing because, because you, can look at, you can look at one another. Uh, and the waltz, maybe we don't, we think of the waltz as very old, old fashioned and not a particularly sexual dance. Um, but in this context of, of the 19th century dance halls of Vienna, it's a highly sexualized dance. And um, the problem is the spinning. Um, all of this, if you're holding on to somebody and you're spinning like that, the forces of the spinning force, force your body together. So when people are waltzing at speed, in the in the context of Vienna, and waltzes are quite they're quite brisk. Viennese waltzes, maybe by design. When you spin at that speed, um, it brings your pelvises together. You have to bring your pelvises together, and you have to lean your upper body out so that you stay together to counteract the forces that are being generated by the spinning. Um, so the so if you think of the waltz as sort of you know like you know your your great grandparents uh, dancing to the waltz or whatever. You just have to imagine teenagers or, you know, people in their 20, 20 year olds or whatever who are going waltzing for a very particular reason, which is to smash their pelvises together. Whereas people are going to twist, I guess, so that they can, uh, yeah, they can, they can look at each other or in Chubby Checker's words, you know, they get a good, they get a good sense of, of uh, who their date is and what their date has to offer. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. I'm Robin Harrison. Special thanks to our guest, musicologist, music historian, and rock musician, Dr. Alexander Carpenter of the University of Alberta, Canada. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, Jack McGee. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events, and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song. We'll be stopping into a seedy old motel and taking a shower with Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com, that's nzpodz.com. Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.